The code sets up high standards of performance for motion picture producers. It states the considerations which good taste and community value make necessary in this universal form of entertainment. So that was Will Hayes, former U.S. Postmaster General and one of the main creators of the Motion Picture Production Code, talking about the importance of following code regulations in 1930. So in its early years, the Motion Picture Production Code prohibited films shown in mainstream American theaters from including any open representations of queer people, and later on, this rule was shifted slightly to the stance that there could be no positive framing of queer people on screen. The Motion Picture Production Code was abandoned in the 1960s, but has kind of ingrained certain homophobic tendencies into popular American cinema, like gay people always dying, or gay people only being present in films subtextually. I'm Allie, I'm a graduate student at Georgetown studying English and film, and on this podcast, The Queer Code, we look into the history of queer-coded and or subtextually queer characters in popular American film. Each episode focuses on two films from one genre. On this episode, we are going to talk about slasher films, which is one of my favorite horror subgenres. So we're going to talk specifically about the 1960 movie Psycho and the 1985 movie A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Psycho is a really good movie, and A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is not a very good movie. But both of these films deal with ideas about queer masculinity in really interesting ways that are not as overtly present in a lot of other slasher films. So that's why I paired them together. So like I said, I like slashers a lot. (laughs) And partly because of that, there is just so much to talk about. So we're actually going to have two episodes on the slasher genre. This episode, which is part one, And in this episode, we are just talking about slasher films as a genre. And then on the next episode, Slasher Films Part 2, we are going to talk specifically about Psycho and Freddy's Revenge. Our co-host for both episodes is Austin Carr. He is an LA-based actor, model, and singer, and he is also genetically related to me as a human being. And in this episode, Austin and I are just going to talk about the slasher genre, what are the like conventions of it, and why we like it so much. And then at the very end of the episode, Austin is going to share a little bit about what it's like to audition for horror and slasher films in LA. And we're also going to hear from Caitlin Benson-Allett. She is the Provost Distinguished Associate Professor at Georgetown University. Her focus is film and media studies, and she's currently the editor of the Journal of Cinema and Media Studies. And then in our next episode, part two, Austin and I will talk more in depth about the two films, and Caitlin will also come back to talk specifically about Psycho a little bit. Okay, so for today's episode, we're going to be talking about the slasher genre, and our co-host today is Austin Carr. Austin, would you like to introduce yourself? Ali, thank you so much for having me again on the podcast. <laughs> it's truly such a treat to be here with you. Um, I am a actor and singer and one of the 15 people who's actually seen A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. Um, yeah, but I have seen 
probably 98% of every horror film made, including all of the Nightmare on Elm Street <laughs> movies, which I saw in a week. Um, oh my I've God. Seen all of the. F- oh, Freddy's the same thing. I see how I always do this. I've seen all the Halloween movies, I've seen all of the Jurassic Park movies. Don't know if that counts. <laughs> I've seen all of the Friday the 13th Jason franchise. I've seen all of the Alien movies. Um, and every single bad Netflix horror film. So I feel like I'm qualified. Oh, I love a bad Netflix horror film. Okay, so I want you to like outline for me like the typical slasher film, like the plot points. Sure. Um, so the typical slasher film... <sighs> Let me think of how to say this concisely. <laughs> um, yeah, so the typical slasher film, usually the main characters are young. The main character is usually a girl, which is she's the object of the stabbing, which is normally a very implied, like, sort of rapey, phallic violation-y thing. Um, yeah, so the typical slasher film, they usually have a pretty simple plot, which is mystery man is stabbing people and as the film goes on you figure out who he is and why he's doing the stabbing and it's usually somehow the main characters are implicated in why he's doing the killing so you have halloween um campers were the ones who were torturing this poor child and that's why oh no i'm just, i keep mixing up halloween and friday the 13th and it's so annoying yeah i was gonna say <laughs> that's not halloween <laughs> and but uh so in, how do i say this is so hard to sum up because slashers i think are so interesting um because mm-hmm. on the surface slashers are seem like they're such like light like, like stupid. they're stupid yeah like they're stupid <laughs> but it's in almost every prominent slasher franchise the victims you find out at the end of the movie were like implicated in the suffering of the villain, which is so right. interesting. Like it happens in Nightmare on Elm Street. You find out that the killer was like um, isolated and marginalized, and then literally—I mean, he was a pedophile to be fair—but he was murdered by the people in the town. And um, Halloween, you find out that it's like a child with mental illness that was like a, had no parents in his life. And that's why he was, like, picked up a knife and randomly stabbed his sister. And his parents didn't even, like, weren't even at home on Halloween, which is, like, why weren't they there? Um, And uh, Friday the 13th, this kid was, like, being bullied and literally drowned and nobody cared about it or, like, intervened to stop it. They let it happen. And that's why later on, the mom is killing... um, Camp counselors. That's what they're called, right? Yep. Yeah. Camp counselors. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. It's kind of, if you think about it, Slasher in a way is kind of a revenge film. It's um, a revenge fantasy. Yeah. And there's also like a weird narrative with sex and virgins. Yeah. And <laughs> virgins. Virgins and sex. <laughs> um, and then the typical climax of the Slasher is... Uh, the main character, who's usually the virgin girl, has been isolated from all her friends. So it's a final showdown of just her. Nobody believes her. Nobody believes what's happening to her. Um, so she's literally on her own. And she has to use her smarts to typically go to the home turf of the villain in order to Yeah, like the site him. of trauma. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, and that's what I think is so interesting about slashers is they're actually like, like, yeah, when you talk about them, they sound really straightforward and kind of stupid. And like, also they sound like a really dumb, like morality tale about like, don't have sex or you'll literally get stabbed by someone and die. But actually it's like about the long lasting effects normally of childhood trauma mm-hmm. and how like, also like the physical place is super important to a slasher film. Oh, like, yeah. It's either like a small town slash rural area, a camp in the middle of nowhere, or a suburb. Like it's not very in a city and it's always like something like the entire geographical area is kind of being haunted by whatever like local legend slash like community sin that this community committed. Yeah, you know what I mean? There's always a communal sin. And like some kind of reckoning and like that like like, even though no one believes her about the killer and whatever, like, you know that, like, the killer has to come back because you can't just have, like, an abused child who is institutionalized. Like, that's not just going to go away. That kind of stuff is going to come back to the community. It's going to haunt the community until it comes to, and like, normally a violent culmination. Like, it's actually a really interesting exploration of, like, like trauma. And, like, it doesn't just... You can't and just collective make it go trauma, away. Collective trauma. <laughs> yeah, and too. a collective trauma. Because usually the slasher is going after an entire generation of people without discrimination. Yes. Um, yeah. It's also interesting because, like, to add on to what you're saying, another trope of the slasher genre is that at the end, there's almost always a teaser that the villain isn't actually dead. <gasps> yes. Like, they always come back to life for a second. You got to shoot him again. Or, like, you find out they had a child or a cousin. Or their body and you is see, gone. Like, or someone else picks, you see a hand picking up the mask at the end or something or like that. Or a nightmare on Elm Street. You realize she's still in a dream. Yeah. Yeah, there's and it's always. Like, it's a, never over. Yeah, there's always a hint that although they did all this and they went through this entire journey and had to literally confront their deepest fears and deepest traumas in order to get out and alive and survive, it's going to happen again. It's never really gone, and you're always going to be dealing with these things because, because they one, never go away. Because one isolated person can't take on the collective trauma of a whole community. Yes. Slashers oh are so yeah. good, and nobody They're talks so about good. it. <laughs> no one talks about it. My name is Caitlin Benson-Allett. I am a Provost Distinguished Associate Professor in the Department of English and the Film and Media Studies program at Georgetown University. Why do you like slasher movies? When I was... I'm just assuming you Yeah, do. no, I do. I do. It was how I got into horror, and then I realized that not all horror is slasher, and, and my love blossomed. Um, when I was a teenager, um, I was raised by a hardcore second-wave feminist, and so I liked movies about women and I liked movies in which women won right and those are not the same thing there are a lot of movies about women where women um, fail or women are only um, talking about men and the movies are actually about men even if the protagonist happens to be a woman Um, but in slasher films there was always a strong female lead as Netflix puts it and she kicked ass Um, And as I got older, I thought more about the complicated gender dynamics of slasher movies. But when I was 13, I just saw a woman not that much older than me, um, like reigning holy hell on the men who disrespected her. And I found that incredibly appealing. How do you understand slashers in relation to masculinity and specifically to gay masculinity? 
So with very few exceptions, the slashers in the killers in slasher movies are always male, right? Or male identified like Mrs. Voorhees, who is pretending to be her son, Jason Voorhees, or maybe pretending is putting it wrong, thinks she's her son at various points. Um, so we do see men penetrating other men often in slasher films. And I think that that's something that same-sex desire is a problem that slasher films can't get over and don't want to get over, right? Like, there's no reason why you can't make a slasher film um, where only where the slasher only kills women. In fact, that's been done um, multiple times. But I think um, when I was talking earlier about um, a, a mainstream norm and this kind of abjection and fear of transgression of the mainstream norm, same-sex desire and same-sex penetration is one of the things that slasher movies, one of those um, threats of social objection in the 80s especially, that slasher movies have worked out and worked on. Uh, and then there are also, of course, like explicitly queer um, slasher movies where the sexual desire doesn't need to be sublimated into the kill where you have um, out or at least sexually active uh, gay male characters or lesbian characters in the movie. What do you think that the main like objects or objective fear is in a slasher film? Okay, so I think there's a major fear of... Um, transgressing boundaries, cultural boundaries. This isn't necessarily um, fear on the part of the characters, although some of them tend to be of the good girl variety um, and worried about acting out or failing to live up to expectations. But I think that slasher movies in general are really concerned um, with abjection, both cultural and bodily. So cultural abjection in the sense of um, how our actions, our beliefs, our behaviors um, might lead to social judgment or might other us from a particular kind of uh, mainstream normativity. Um, and then bodily abjection, right? It's generally the slasher genre aimed at teenagers as opposed to other horror genres. And so these are people, for the most part, in the throes of bodily abjection, right? Your body is doing things you have no control over and it's starting to want you to do things that it wasn't asking you to do um, 10 years previous. So sex is a big part of slasher movies, but to some degree, I feel like... Um, sex as such or penetration as such is kind of a red herring for this bigger problem of abjection and like having a body and the messiness of being in a body. My favorite thing in monster and slasher movies and kind of on some level like supernatural demon movies is the, how the main character is gaslit into thinking yes. that they're the only one that can see this thing and they're the only one that can see this yes. thing. Yes. Did I say the same thing twice in a row? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's such a cool element to add on top of it. And it also makes you feel it makes like, it scarier. like your panic yes. is going crazy because you're like, nobody will believe. Not only will they not believe them, but they're actively trying to shut down any the investigation possibility of this ex existing. Yes. Yeah. Like, they're actively shutting down any kind of conversation or help about it. Like, something that's also really common in slasher films and monster movies in general, horror movies in general, is that 
the police not only do not try at all to help, but they're shown to be like actively hostile to helping in a situation. So it's like literally the systems of, yeah, like the systems of the society are set up for this to be allowed to happen and for this killer to literally kill as many people as possible because no one in the society, in the system of the society is going to try to stop Because them. to do so would involve owning up to something they to the messed up on. the existence of the thing. Right, the existence of yeah. the thing and the thing, whatever the evil, quote-unquote evil, the villain figure only exists because of some something the community has done wrong and they will never admit that they have done that wrong. It's why in Nightmare on Elm Street, they can't even confront the possibility that their children are dying because of this thing because to do that, they would have to admit that like, that they, they did something. They killed this guy and haven't spoken about it for 18 years or right. whatever. Yeah. 15, 17, something. And I think that that's like, I think that that really, we'll say, lends itself to stories about queerness because I feel like that's a lot of times how queerness functions in small towns and like more rural areas especially is like it's there and everyone knows it's there but everyone and like everyone is also actively suppressing like like queer visibility but like yeah you don't talk about it and like people send Mm. their kids to conversion therapy or to some form of counseling and no one ever talks about it because no one wants to admit that it's there because if you admit that it's there then like I, I don't know. I guess they think that, like, America will combust or whatever. Well, also the... I think the active gaslighting is oh, a really the gaslighting. thread in, oh, like, my God. queer narratives. Yeah. yeah. And... Of just being made to feel like you're the insane one for being different. And you're also... You're made to feel like you're the, you're the only, only person, person that's going through when this. when you're not. Like, not at all. That's like... Yeah, especially in Christian communities, you always feel like, oh, I... I'm the it's only just possible me. person that like feels yeah. this way. It's just and me. And it never is. And you're made to feel that way. Yeah, it's not an accident that you feel that way. Like you're not like paranoid or anything. Like no, everyone is working like to make you feel that way. Like you're reading the correct. Yeah, you're reading the correct social cues. It's from actually people like a you. very rational response to be like irrationally freaked out because that mm-hmm. is what everything in that area is designed to make you feel. Yeah. Which I think is I mean, people always say that queer people connect to horror narratives because, you know, we're made to, a lot of times we're coded as the villain and, like, we're made to feel, there's a connection with the way that monsters are treated in horror films where they're, like, marginalized and pushed to the sides. And it's very clear in the horror films that, like, no, the monster is also not, the reason they're a monster is because they're not being treated very well. So I think sometimes queer people read sort of, like, a revenge fantasy into horror movies of, like, oh, it's fun to see the big scary monster who's sort of queer-coded, like, murdering all of the hot straight (laughs) cheerleaders. (laughs) Like, there's sort of, like, a weird, yeah, like, seeing all the people who bullied you and harassed you for years get, like, eaten in insanely weird bizarre (laughs) gruesome ways like there's like a weird thrill to that like that's why carrie Um, is so popular because that's literally what's happening it's like it's like revenge um, porn the word yeah like revenge porn revenge torture (laughs) torture revenge um but i think there also is like a i think queer people very much understand from the other side too like being in the shoes of the hero who's being isolated also <laughs> the virgin um 
the virgin stereotype narrative is also like is also works for like a lot of queer people feeling like isolated and like that they can never have a sexual experience because they don't know any other queer right. people in their small and town. to figure out that involves yeah. on some level coming out which is terrifying yeah. when no one wants you to do that yeah right yeah uh true i never thought about it like that before yeah, I think there's a reason why, like, queer people connect so strongly to horror movies when the main character is almost never a gay person. Like, it's weird to feel so represented and interested. By such a by heterosexual genre. Really doesn't <laughs> represent, yeah, really doesn't represent any kind of gay people at all. Yeah, that's true. And normally, like, yeah, hinges on some kind of, like, like slasher movies Negative literally stereotype. hinge on heterosexuality. Like, she hasn't yeah. had sex with a man, therefore she's a virgin, therefore she can kill the monster <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. she's pure and yeah it's weird that like queer people connect so strongly to these stories that on the surface don't really seem to include them at all but when you look a little bit deeper like those themes really resonate with yeah them. um was there anything else that you wanted to say about the slasher genre or just horror movies in general Am I allowed to share a couple of stories about horror movie stuff? Or do they not care about that? <laughs> no, share things about horror movie stuff. That's interesting. Um, so <laughs> horror movies are the easiest thing to get made in L.A. Because typically they can be pretty low budget. And also, horror movies are the only types of films in L.A. that you don't have to have a huge star attached to because the return on investment is always going to be higher than your budget, pretty much, unless you're like... Oh, that's Yeah, unless you're doing something crazy with the horror movie. Um, because, like, all the blood and the scares get people into the theaters, not the Yeah, no one really goes to... I mean, now it's changing a little bit because you'll start to see horror movies that have, like, Jessica Chastain or, like... Uh, I almost said Reese Witherspoon. I don't think she's ever done a horror movie. <laughs> Wait, I would love a horror movie starring Reese. Big little ghosts. Um, <laughs> but so yeah, so that's a reason why um, there's uh, so many horror movies being made in LA all the time um, because they're all just like really low budget because you don't have to have a star attached to get funding or to sell it to distributors. Um, so I've auditioned for probably like 50 hundred 50 hundred 5,000 <laughs> horror movies since moving to LA in like two years um and it's always the same thing which is so frustrating to me where I don't know if it's just like an incompetent casting director or they genuinely like want you to do this but you'll get self-tape requests. So a self-tape is, it's basically an audition just over tape. So you'll record yourself saying the lines with a reader off of camera and you'll send that into the casting director. And that's how most things get started. Like you don't really go in for in-person auditions in LA anymore, at least not right away. Which makes sense, yeah. honestly, because that feels like it would be Yeah, a especially for, like, yeah. if the, like, well, I don't even like the way you look. So, like, we're not going to bring you in for the real yeah. audition, but you can record a two-minute audition. So, normally, a normal self-tape will be, like, interesting dialogue or, like, you'll it will have enough character lines to, like, get a grip of how you're going to portray this character. And so, like, that's helpful for a casting director to know. But I keep getting these self-tape auditions that are just a page of actions at like the climax of the horror film and so it will be like and 
noted, you have to, the subtapes are normally like framed from your waist up or like just your head. Legit, Ali, I have had to film multiple self-tapes where I have one line of dialogue and it's two pages of like, he jumps over the corpse, he runs around, the clown has an axe, the clown tries to smash him in the face with it, he ducks and jumps behind him and says, not on today, then he sees the scarecrow ahead, and I'm like, how am I supposed to do this in a self-tape where you can see my shoulders and up? Like, how am I supposed to evade a clown and, like, be screaming and crying, having a breakdown just for for two minutes? Like, how am I supposed to jump over a ravine in a (laughs) self-tape? And also, even if I do this, how does this help you as a casting director? Like, what does this give you? The fact that I'm, like, running in place and being like, you can jump really high. Oh, no. Like, I just, I don't understand it. Um, but that's what all these horror movie self-tapes are like. And they're also, like, the titles are the most insane thing you could possibly think of. Like, my favorite one was, um, I don't know if it ever got made, but it was called, <laughs> it was called Fear Farm, but it was a double entendre. Fear not, Farm? Oh, I hope it Not double entendre, that's not right. It was a pun. <laughs> um, so it was, like, Fear Farm with a PH, because it was a fear pharmacy, and it was... Oh, the plot oh, was God. it was a, like one of those like haunted <laughs> hayride situations, fear farms. Um, right. But yeah, the twist was that it was actually <laughs> they were doing human testing and they were like shooting chemicals into the air <laughs> <laughs> that were drugs <laughs> that made people hallucinate and think they were seeing something. And then at the end, they were like, you were test subjects. So fear farm. In all honesty, I don't think I did finish the audition because I was like, this is too stupid. Like, I couldn't make myself run in place and, like, scream and cry. Oh, they wanted me to get my arm chopped off. They wanted me to, in the self-tape audition, the section of the script they chose, they wanted me to have my arm chopped off. <laughs> I was like, how, how, are you supposed to how am I supposed to pretend? With your arm chopped off. Yeah, how am I supposed to pretend that my arm is getting chopped off? And also, like, the aftermath of that. They wanted me to be like, ow! Uh, and then, like, continue for another page of running. And I was like, I'm not going to do would this. You, like, tuck, this is too you, embarrassing. Would you, like, one arm inside your shirt and then, like, run around I like that? Know. Like, how well, are that's you the supposed other thing, to do is that I was in like, your room alone? That was the thing. It was like, I, I never know with self-tape auditions where it's that kind of thing, where it's a lot of actions. I never know how much to commit. So I'm like, do they want me to just be like, like do the facial right. reactions of that happening? Or do they want me to really be like, you go know, for yeah. it and like pretend I'm jumping and with falling? With one arm. Yeah. But yeah, so that's horror movies in LA. <laughs> in case anyone really wanted to know. I wanted to know that. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the stupidest thing. I, I do love that it's probably like the only area where literally anything can get some type of funding to get made so you get the most batshit insane story ideas where i'm like at least they're taking yeah a risk. you know they're like pushing this boundaries. is what we're missing and this is what we're missing in like political dramas and rom-coms seriously like, more rom-coms should be weirder and take more risks no idea is too stupid to get made into a hollywood <laughs> indie horror film <laughs> Which explains why, why so many we of them have exist. seven sequels to Nightmare on Elm Street and... And Psycho. Night of... I almost said Night of the 13th. Friday That's the 13th. Okay, so this is the end of the slasher genre episode, part one. On our next episode, we are going to talk more in depth, 
on Psycho and A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. 